Welcome to the Therapy Evolved Podcast, where we discuss integrating primitive virtues into the context of a modern world. Good morning, everybody, as if uh, it's going to necessarily be morning when you finally get around to listening to this. This is your host, Ken Knight, with Therapy Evolved, and I have the pleasure today of interviewing my classmate, um, office neighbor, and friend, Katie Fetzer. Uh, Katie is a licensed professional counselor and PhD student at the University of New Orleans, but beyond that, I will just turn it over to Katie to tell you a little bit about her background. And as always, I will rudely interrupt when I get too curious to stay quiet. <laughs> Hi, Ken. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I guess, uh, you know, starting with my background is a good place of any and a mm-hmm. little introduction. Um, like Ken said, I'm a licensed professional counselor and I've been working in mental health for close to seven years Um, and I started off after graduating in my master's program, my first job was in a hospital setting, uh, in a psychiatric hospital to be specific. And I still actually currently hold a position there. And so that was my kind of my first experience of being thrown into the real world and actually starting to do real work with, with real people. Um, and in that type of environment in the hospital setting, I like to say it, it kind of gave me a window into the functioning of our mental health system from very diverse perspectives. Sure. I was able to kind of see the way our mental health system met or didn't meet the needs of certain people. And because it, it, when you look at the hospital setting, um, you have people from all over the state that come um, because they don't always have psychiatric hospitals in every location. And so it, it really just serves a very diverse population of people. And so as I started working in the hospital setting, um, which most of the uh, issues that I was working with was was trauma, abuse, um, and also severe mental health conditions, as they would call it. Um, And that kind of is where my career goals really started to emerge as a new professional was when I started to actually work with clients. Um, And certain things, certain areas started to kind of pull my heartstrings, if you will, just like I think any of us. Sure. Um, so now I, I, you know, as I was, was working in my career at the hospital setting, I was fortunate enough to meet my current private practice partner, uh, Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and we are now in the private practice world and also seeing clients in private practice setting and our office is called the wellness studio. Um, and that's where I am today. And then now I'm in the PhD program at UNO and met you. (laughs) Very well. All right. So I've heard that sort of like industry standard professional Mm -hmm. courtesy that we're kind of conditioned to hold. Mm -hmm. But that wouldn't really be much fun for a podcast. So I'm going to get a little (laughs) bit down and dirty and controversial from the start. Yeah, absolutely. um, When you talk about sort of needs being met and not met in the mental health hospital, um, I guess just being as blunt as possible. Sure. What just doesn't work? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a really, really, really great question. Um, one of the things that I see and have seen and worked in working in hospital settings is there's so much that's sacrificed, meaning there's so much about the, the client's comfort and they're, they're going there because they're a vulnerable place and they need help. But there's so much of that healing process that's sacrificed for the sake of liability or for the sake of safety sure. in that type of large um, setting. And what I really mean by that is 
working in a hospital setting and when I, when I was there, I was, or still am actually, but, um, it was mostly with kids, so 12 to 17 year olds, but a, a common theme that kind of emerged just from my own professional experiences that I would hear a lot is people didn't feel like it was a comfortable place. Sure. And so they're, they're, they might be there for a suicide attempt that failed and they're severely depressed yet they're in a place that they would describe. It feels like a jail. If I had a nickel for every time I heard, um, an adolescent say that they felt like they were being held against their will, like it was a jail, like it was a trap, they weren't getting help. And well, that's so, all true. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> it is, and unfortunately it is. Um, and I think, honestly, when you, when you ask that question, what didn't work, the main thing that comes to mind is the way that we deliver, the underlying messages that are sent to people about mental health and what it is and what it isn't. It's not necessarily... Um, just about the way that we explain it as the clinician, but the way that we kind of brand it as a whole. Sure. And so in the hospital setting, because, you know, for the sake of liability and safety, everything is, you know, there's not allowed to have um, pointed edges and frames on walls. And so there's not much artwork. Sure. Um, so there's a lot that's sacrificed in, in the type of environment that someone's in that doesn't necessarily feel very therapeutic. It feels more medicinal and sterile. Um, so when you say kind of what work and wasn't what doesn't work, I kind of feel like there needs to be some improvement on our overall branding of mental health and how we're sure. getting that message sent out to the public. And that's something that I that I kind of realized when I was in the hospital setting and still am. I still see it. Yeah. And, you know, even as we're talking and we're looking around your office and mm-hmm. your other offices and how awesome they look and how fun and how, I guess, inspirational is it that cool. comes to mind. Yeah. And you think about the role of someone in you know, engaging in treatment in a mm-hmm. mental health hospital, it's about as passive of an experience sure. as it gets, right. right? You are there to sit there, uh, eat when they tell you, sleep when they tell you, sit around all day and do nothing otherwise, uh, take what pills they tell you, and mm-hmm. go to what groups or whatever they tell you. And most of what brings people to a mental health hospital is feeling out of control of their unhappiness to begin with. Very good point, yeah. So they come back to this environment where you have even less control, mm-hmm. right? And when you don't look at clients as mm-hmm. the drivers of, of success and change, exactly. Yeah. why inspire them? Exactly. When they, when they are not the ones that are being empowered, I think empowered is the yeah. word that comes up. And there's so many reasons why I love the field of counseling and what we do and that we practice from a place of, of a wellness model, a place that encourages and works to empower people because of that very reason. And I think that that's something that we have in our control as mental health professionals when we are deciding on opening our own office to deliver these services or, um, you know, create an office space for our clients. I feel like that's one of those things that we can kind of help clients realize is that they do have a say in their process and they should be the ones that are directing it. Um, so, yeah. You know, I'm hearing you saying empower, um, drive, uh, mm-hmm. you know, direct. We have this very new agey kind of collective feel of the word empower, like uh, mm-hmm. almost like it's self-indulgent or decadent. Sure. But if you really take the deeper meaning of that yeah. word, that's a pretty frightening experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, you have all, uh, you know, authority in this. Right. But, man, the responsibility backing it and sure. the risk and fear and, you know, existential crisis going on. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't, when you hear empowered, it's so easy to roll your eyes and go, oh, God, there's that, you know, self-indulgent new age therapy crap again. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you're going to go to Burning Man and CrossFit Good now, point, good point, you know? yeah. But 
people you, may not they miss the depth behind it. Exactly. I hear you saying. Yeah. yeah. And so when you look at that role of making how you design and set up and strategize mm-hmm. the terrain of your office mm-hmm. towards empowerment, right? And sure. it's sort of like I see it from an out, you know, outside looking in to how you right. set things up. It's like you go in knowing that you're asking a very hard challenge mm-hmm. for your clientele. And yeah. You're just trying to give them one more little strategic advantage. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. You know, with with anything and, and because you mentioned the importance of like depth behind something as simple as a word, um, the same thing goes with the aesthetics of an office. So everything starts with history and it just so happens that when it comes to office design and interior design and architecture, there's a ton of history behind it that is connected to our field of psychology. Um, I have a book and it's a book that I've used throughout, um, a lot of my, my research in this area in my doctoral study. So I'm very novice. I will very, I will make sure to make that disclaimer. Novice in the research. The more you know, the more, more of a novice you're going to feel. There you go. There you go. Um, but the history behind it, they've done research studies on architecture, the difference between what they call hard architecture and what they call soft architecture, yeah. and the actual impact, impact that has on people's moods. Um, and it has consistently shown, um, they've done qualitative and quantitative studies, but it has consistently shown that if you have um, buildings and offices are built with hard architecture, and what I mean by that, it's very, um, you know, like cemented, but it's also dark and it has um, less no openings and so not many windows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it almost creates this closed-in feeling for people, which I think in a way, like you said, lends to people feeling like they are less in control. Um, and, of course, I'm speaking from experience, but also a place of what I've seen in, in the literature as well and what I've heard clients say. So different perspectives that sure. I've kind of heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that's kind of where things started from is is knowing that there's – there, it is shown that your is something as simple as the aesthetics of, aesthetics of your office will and can affect the way someone feels. So if we know that a client is coming to our office, and we know you and I as mental health professionals that the counseling process can be intimidating sure. if they've never been, or um, like you said, can be very challenging because this someone might be dealing with um, a lot of intense issues or just be very vulnerable to the process starting out or jaded before you even start. Sure. Right? Or like, jaded. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The social content of therapy, it's that stigma piece. Yep. It's like, absolutely. There's not only the stigma that you're crazy if you go to mental health, but there's right. also the stigma that therapy just doesn't work and it's a little, there crap. you go. Exactly. And they, Oh yeah. Good point. And they may have been to counseling in the past and it didn't work from them then. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, they have this, the jaded perspective. And so we know this as mental health professionals, we know this. And yeah. so why not try to do everything we can in our power to, in our ability to be able to minimize as much as possible by lending to the client feeling more uncomfortable the second they walk in the door. And so, you know, even from looking at the colors of your walls, um, feng shui, I mean, you look at fields like in, in feng shui and interior design, they purposely position furniture and lighting mm-hmm in certain places in, in homes so that you can feel more comfortable. Sure. Um, so you can essentially use those same concepts in healing environments and hospitals too um, to be able to just create a more warming, comfortable, and safe place because I think those things, if that's not in your environment and your atmosphere, it's going to be harder for the client to get comfortable in the pro- initial processes of coming. Certainly. Um, and it's, it's so something that we have 
in our ability to do, whether it's um, creating more light or changing the colors on the walls or, um, you know, making sure we have certain things that are inviting on the shelves that are not, you know, something that would make them run the other direction, for example. Um, Something so simple as, too, like the TV, if you have a TV in your waiting room, making sure you don't have a certain movie playing that might be unsettling for your guests. Um, So just little things like that that tap into really our physical senses, Mm -hmm. which I know you know quite a bit about as well. Um, is what really comes to mind as being an incredibly por- important factor in what we do. Sure. Well, the, the design setup, you know, maybe a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, even, you know, way earlier, we would have just called this a ritual, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, if you're trying to pump up one tribe to go fight another tribe, right. you get the, um, you know, it's nighttime, there's a fire, mm-hmm. you put some scary looking paint on, right. you wear skulls, you beat drums. <laughs> You know, Rachel. so you know, so you make it. The exterior environment definitely has a trigger effect that cascades from like your first thought all the way down your emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're trying to create an environment where you want someone to feel weaker or subservient or right. passive, go with that concrete Soviet gray. That's the way to do it. You're right. going to make them feel so hopeless you'll never have to even like beat them to keep them in line. There you go. You know, mm-hmm. but if you're not running a concentration camp. Right. Or a jail. Or, <laughs> or trying jail. to build a jail. Right. You know, um, maybe that's not the best option. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really good point. And I like that you gave kind of like a tangible um, something for someone to be able to take away that's listening. Because I think these are all things that we all can do. And, and like I said, we have an ability to do. It's just about having the awareness, you sure. know, having the awareness, not even just for your clients, but for yourself as a counselor in how these things affect us. Sure. Um, down to the color, the temperature, the shapes, the, the you know where you are in the type of uh, near a window or no windows at all. You can add lighting. Um, all of those things are things that we can do that are external, but they do have an impact on the way that we feel and maybe even process information. So. Sure. You know, and then it's like 50 minutes in a session or longer sometimes in a group or a family session People drift, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. No matter how engaging it is, or your mm-hmm. eyes are going to be looking at this, your ears mm-hmm. are going to be picking up that. Um, how comfortable they're sitting versus like what they're looking at. Good point. At. The type yeah. of chair. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it all matters, and this seems like such petty stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, guys, don't get me wrong. If you don't know your your stuff, and you don't have the right connection, and you don't have the right intention going mm-hmm. in. You could be conducting your work in paradise and you still won't get results. Sure. You know. Good point. It's, it's both. <laughs> yeah, you know. That is a very, very, very good point. Yeah. But, you know, but you, it almost mirrors like what you would kind of encourage a client to do, right? Um, mm-hmm. The aesthetics are just a series mm-hmm. of movements you make to line mm-hmm. things up in your favor. Sure. To achieve your results. Mm-hmm. And what does that sound like except goal setting for clientele? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and. You know, there's almost that like modeling example too. Of mm-hmm. Like, okay, uh, let's say you have a depression issue. Well, what you're living, you know, you might see this nice, pretty place, and then might even start stir a conversation piece. Like, oh, I love sure. the way this looks. Everybody who comes there into the office, mm-hmm. um, you know, comments on how awesome this place looks, mm-hmm. right? And so they might, that might spark a conversation of, well, okay. Sure. Does it look awesome where you spend your days now? Right. Absolutely. It's a, that's a, I love that you said that because that, that happens frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our offices, something that I would say that is, I guess, woven into the core mission of, of our practice, the wellness studio, is to 
destigmatize mental health, not at just the individual level, but at larger levels too. And so that's why we have certain like objects in our office that might spark a conversation that we can use to be able to then bring out that conversation of why we created the office the way it does. And what I find is that it, it a lot of the times will elicit that conversation around the client saying, well, gosh, I was so scared to come here, or I thought it was going to be like, you know, doctor's office, I didn't know, it doesn't feel like a doctor's office, or, because I think in general, most, uh, and I'm, I'm truly, i not, this is not me, you know, bashing or saying that, you know, all doctor's offices are medicinal and sterile, sure. but for the most part, they're built that way. And so I think people already have this intimidation factor going in when they're going in with any health professional, mm-hmm. but then in mental health too, we have these stigmas surrounding us. So I feel like sometimes having just the aesthetics, the way you do can, can illuminate that conversation and right. be a conversation starter like you said, that they can take home. <laughs> sure. This is a place I, I'm, I want to be. This isn't trying to turn me into a passive, yeah, uh, right. consumptive, obedient, you know, there you go. Yeah. livestock. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, it, it even affects the staff mm-hmm. in these settings, right? Sure. Like, I, I'm, I'll be the, the rude, blunt one. <laughs> and kind of like, in any given mental health hospital, I've worked in them too, you're working with people of varying degrees of caring and capability and competence, right? And you get such an intersectionality of, Absolutely. you know, from the custodial staff, who tend to be mm-hmm. among the most compassionate, to the nursing staff, to the uh, MDs, to the sure. um, respiratory therapists, to all these disciplines, right? right. And, um, and then they live mm-hmm. 8 to 12 hours of their day in this concrete concentration camp, prison, gray, Soviet-looking Absolutely. hole. yeah. And it starts to affect how they converse. Good and point. And it's just like animal and human beings are absolutely an animal. And that's the whole concept behind this podcast is we right. are animals in an environment. Mm-hmm. Sophisticated, wonderful, conscientious animals that we mm-hmm. may be, still mm-hmm. biological. And animals tend to adapt to the environment mm-hmm. they're in, right? There you go. You know, and pretty soon the nurse, the doctor, they're all grumpy mm-hmm. and they feel hopeless because, you know... And Absolutely. it's just a self-reinforcing cycle of failure. Right. It, it, I, that's why I'm loving this conversation so much because I, I, I'm learning from you just, you know, talking too. And I know how much that you know about that actual process of, um, you know, just the actual mind and how the, the neuroscience too, you know, and, and how that has and does play a role in not even just our experience as a mental health professional, but also the clients. And I think that it's a perfect kind of marriage of two to consider architecture in the external world mm-hmm. and then also ourselves and our internal world and our brain and how those two things kind of collide, sure. which is why I love the fact that they, that they have done. And even, you know, at first when I started digging into the topic of um, aesthetics and healing environments, I didn't know if there was going to be that much information out there. And here I found a, a textbook called Mind and Architecture. And the architectural field has already studied sure, psychology in their so work. So much green space per area. Absolutely. And, stuff. Um, and I really, I reaching into the, the architectural fields and the arts field, I was so happy to see psychology in all of that. And yeah. neuroscience, they actually talk sure. about that. Um, because when... You talk about architects, I mean, they're the ones that are building a space for humans to be in. Yeah. And so it's nice to to see that that's something that they're cognizant of. But I think we, as mental health professionals, we need to be yeah, cognizant of it as well. And I don't know if we are. Well, sure. And, you know, then we also learn that 
the M word, right, of money, what mm-hmm. can we afford to do? Good point. So we may not be able to Excellent have this point. like transhumanist paradise of marble and glass sure. and fountains and gardens, but we can still do something. Right? Exactly. You know? And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I, I definitely want people to know that this is not something that you have to spend a great deal of money or have a great deal of money and resources on to be able to do. I mean, it's as simple as when you're teaching um, art to a child, you know, and have and giving them the tools that they need to create their own art. You can help your clients get to a place where they can create their own art and create their own space. And sometimes it doesn't take building a fountain, you know. Right, right. Uh, it doesn't take a, a whole lot of money. And and you and I, Ken and I both, I mean, we, you and I both know what it is to speak from a place of privilege. And I know that not everyone comes from the same privilege. And so sure. that's different for every client we work with. And so it's, I just, I hope people know that it, you can use yourselves to be able to create things like this. And I see it being done every day and I hear about it being done every day. And it just takes a certain process and journey to getting to that place where you feel like you have what you need to be able to create. Sure. Um, and it's almost, it's not even necessarily just financial privilege, right? Yeah, because absolutely. Someone maybe have had some trauma or some difficulty or hard upbringing. There you go. Mm-hmm. And maybe they acquire some finances at some point. Right. But that like that mindset of struggling to get by, that survival mode of thinking, sure. they may still be clinging to that and Good point. having the diet and aesthetics and you know and lifestyle mm-hmm. of someone still in that disadvantaged position. Sure. You know? Yeah, really good point. And and counseling is such a cool vessel to help carve that. Sure. To, or for it's a vessel that our clients can use to carve themselves, I should say. Yeah. You know, because we are offering a vessel for them to be able to use to empower themselves. Again, there's that, that word empowerment. Um, but it highlights a little bit more of the depth behind it. And you know, when you think about empowerment, right? Something, anytime you want to change something, there has to be an introduction mm-hmm. of, of a new idea or concept, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so what is more of a stark, sharp contrast to what someone may know to walk mm-hmm. in like a world of grays and, you know, and aluminum sidings to mm-hmm. come in and see bright colors and cloth. Yeah. You know, and I love that start, that visual that you just gave. Cause yeah. I think for people listening, it, it, it's a way for them to be able to kind of see the stark contrast and difference between maybe if they are in a place where they're in that dark gray, et cetera. And then mm-hmm. being able to think of how they could get to the flip of that. Sure. So that's really cool. And I'm not hating on gray. Gray when done well can be good. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Good point. I don't want to get sued by Gray. Um, <laughs> Gray's going to come and see you. Yeah. better watch out. This couch is Gray. So we're not, you know, equal Gray opportunity. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, so I guess now it's sort of like we're talking about colors. We're talking mm-hmm. about physical, visual things primarily. Mm-hmm. And we're on a podcast. Yeah. So that's the fun, like, irony of this. Mm-hmm. Right? And one-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess let's get a little bit more specific and paint sure. pictures of people in people's heads. Sure. You know, like, Okay, let's say that you come from the office environment where you got the, like, 1980s inspiration, what you can do, you can dream, with, like, a fuzzy mountain in the background mm-hmm. and some stick figure climbing it, right? And you've got, like, the linoleum floor that looks perpetually dirty and, like, the office bug lighting that zaps every now and again right. with a moth in it. Um, <laughs> and then you've got, like, the, the like, city hall sheet metal... Mm-hmm elementary school teacher desk kind of thing going on and mm-hmm. you know maybe that like beige taupe awful like plastic thick computer you know you know you know the office i'm talking sure. about right 
It's everywhere. With may have, that it may have, uh, I've been in environments where there's stains everywhere, oh, yeah, so sure. the sanitary element, too. It is like, ugh, you know, and even if it is clean, it just doesn't look as like, great. You waxed it. You've only accentuated what looks mm -hmm. like more dirt. Right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, like, um, or it's like, oh, now you're clever. You painted the prison concrete blocks. There you go. <laughs> you know, there you go. So it's like someone who comes from work in that world, you don't even think about how much it matters because you go in, you it's clock in, true. you sip your coffee, you do the paperwork. Mm -hmm. The screens, right? The awful screens, the hideous yeah. practice management software, the, mm -hmm. you know. So let's say we're coming from that world. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. somebody wants to break out of that. And, mm -hmm. the, and you want to create, like, you know, Project Runway, Queer Eye for a Straight Guy, Office, you know, 2.0. Yeah. What are some steps? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I think the first step for any is to first know that, you know, even though we are having to be able to, like you mentioned, the financial support that we have to have as clinicians that we have to be able to build um, to be able to work, know that that's not always something that has to bound you. Because I think sometimes when that's factored into our mindset as clinicians, I'm speaking to clinicians, right? Uh, anyone interested in mental health? Okay, um, okay, mental so, health clinicians, yeah. Because yeah. um, I think that if you have those, it's all about the psychological mindset and limits that you put on yourself. And I sure. think if you've been in that type of environment for some time, it may not be something that you're thinking of. So it, I think it first starts within us and the way that we're thinking in our own mindset, which isn't always something within the snap of a finger we can do, but it's a place to start because if we're thinking to ourselves, that's going to cost too much money. Sure. There's no way. I mean, the private practice stuff is just so such a far reaching goal. I can't mm -hmm. do it. That's a mindset. Sure. Those thoughts are not something that, I mean, it will define you if you allow them to, and that's the way you're going to think. But try flipping the script in your own mind, I think, is a good place to start. And if it is something you want to do, and you're wanting to be able to kind of take that step, just telling yourself you can, and then researching the steps that you need to get there, which the ones that I would offer are certainly being able to connect with people that are already out there in the community that are possibly in that setting already, in a private practice setting, to kind of pick their brains and learn from them and maybe even build with them. Because um, private practice is something that I think is is very um, easy to feel isolated if you're the only one sitting in that office space. Sure. Yeah. And you know you're the only one occupying it. Um, so I think that doing it alone is sometimes um, a place you might start, but being able to at least share space with somebody or talk with someone that's already in that world can be helpful for you to build your ideas and bounce off each other's to kind of allow that like seed that starts to really start growing um, and kind of really, really just mapping it out there. And the next thing I think that would follow is to really start just learning business because private practice is a business and we have to... Sure. Not forget the business factors that are involved in actually building or, a you practice. Know, speaking of evolutionary psychology in mm -hmm. general, it's like resources. Nobody's got endless amounts. Yeah, right? that's an excellent point. You yeah, um, and I certainly didn't either. Um, neither did my partner, Dr. Rodri. We both, you know, she initially left first, so we, we both were in the same hospital working together, coincidentally, and didn't know it. So she was at the cancer center. This is my private practice partner. She was at the cancer center across the street from the psych unit I worked in. Okay. Um, and it was the same with both of us, and I think with many clinicians, is we, you don't necessarily have all this financial support that you start with. But when you reach and you start researching into business and growing a business, you'll learn about a business loan. 
and you learn about the steps that you can take and that is th- that that's an option so that you don't think of the financial aspect as a barrier because sure. again it's it's more about the mindset because you think that there's all these barriers but then you don't really know yeah. you well, know well I mean there are barriers but mm-hmm. and they're real barriers it's just sure. sort of like you can also look at that as a good thing right because right. without barriers and speaking from again that sort good of animal point. mentality Without barriers, then you're in no better of a position than everyone else around you mm-hmm. who doesn't see the urge to overcome them. Yeah, great right. point. Yeah, that's yeah. an excellent point. Um, I think after getting getting up to speed on just the, the actual business factors that are coming involved, and to be specific, accounting, um, possible needing to be able to speak to attorney about any sort of agreement or plan that sure. you're drafting. Um, the that's, stuff that no one really wants to spend yeah, time doing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's one that really no one wants to spend time doing. That's exactly right. Um, but they're such crucial, important factors to actually growing and building a business and keeping it afloat. Um, I know that for myself personally and for, for Dr. Roderick, we both reach out to friends first. True. You know, I mean, having friends that maybe are in the attorney world or are attorneys, know who to connect with. Um, when you're financially strapped, maybe it's a good place to start until you can then build enough sure. revenue to then hire well, and you're, have an you're attorney saying build, on file. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm thinking sweat equity. Sure. And you know whether you know not everybody that listens to this is a therapist or is going to be in private practice. A lot of people just want to know about evolutionary psychology, fitness, health, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But this applies because we all need resources. Mm-hmm. And so I think like maybe you don't feel comfortable making the commitment to get into debt to do it or to dive sure. all the way in into whatever your change or endeavor is now. I think sweat equity, right? Like. You can do your own accounting. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't have the money, but maybe you have the time to do your own research. Good point. Or maybe you only have like a $20 budget to start to build your office. Whatever up this office. Week. Right, yeah. So try out a thrift store. You, you may have, if you have the money, you may save yourself two hours of, of thumbing through stuff to just buy something at twice the price. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't have that, but you, but you may not have the time otherwise, right? Sure. So, but if you don't have the resources, but you have the time, that's a resource. That's an excellent point. You know? Yeah. And I'm, I love that you bridged that gap too, because I, I forget too, like this doesn't of course just apply, this is a clinician perspective, but it's also can apply to anyone that's at a place where they want that sort sure. of chain, change. Um, and we live in corporate America. So yeah. <laughs> where this is where we're speaking from, at least, um, of course this could cross international boundaries, but you know, when we live in such a, a culture here that is... There's so many um, people that are working for larger corporations and may feel some of what we're talking about, but knowing that you can gain your own power in, ch- in making a change. Sure. And you mentioned power. That is pretty much the underlying driving theme of what I do with this podcast and cool. what I do in, in counseling because well, power is another one of those loaded words, right? It can mm-hmm. mean anything. Um, generally, therapists talk about it in the sense of social justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I take. I think that's a very scratching the surface, peripheral view of power. Mm-hmm. I look at power as the reality of natural strength and capability, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so, when you say power, it's like, well, if you're working under someone, you may not have the power to have mm-hmm. a fully engaging environment. It's like, oh no, no, you can't use this uh, red paint here because you've altered the building that we're renting from, or this mm-hmm. and that, or you can't do that because this. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you start to feel like. Oh, those obstacles are too high. Sure. And I don't have a, I don't really have a habit of finding power where I had none to begin with, maybe. Absolutely. So I'm just gonna back off of this and become mm-hmm. the passive consumer in the concrete office. Right. You know. Yeah, no, that's such an excellent point. 
I think it's nice for you to bring that definition to light too, because I do think sometimes people have just that one definition of power or their own definition of what they think it is. So, sure. Yeah. And you know, if something doesn't really benefit you, what's the point? Or if it right. doesn't ben if there's no benefit to what you're doing, you know, what's the point? So mm -hmm. I guess, in addition to you know maybe being a little bit more inspirational, breaking down some barriers for clientele that might mm -hmm. come in, even if you're not a therapist and you're mm -hmm. talking about aesthetics, you are going to absorb the product of your own inspiration, mm -hmm. right? So if you live in a disempowering, flat, dull, rough, um, scraped by, patched up, duct tape kind of sure. world, you're going to start to feel like you're duct taped and scraping to get by sometimes, yeah. you know? Excellent point. So, and You know what? It stuck out to me as you mentioned that um, is I think that this is really good for even if someone's listening that might be a teacher or oh, yeah. a parent, you know, because sometimes we... I work with kids, and so I think sometimes having worked with kids that they have less power, mm -hmm. but maybe feel that way. You know, they, they're under the illusion of, of how much power they have based on the access or the resources that they have. So they might be living in a space that they have, that they have to live in, but sure. they actually have the capability within themselves to be able to, like you're talking about, um, create or be able to do something to be able to feel better within themselves and change that environment. And I think teachers listening are a great segue to helping them get sure, there, whether it's through art materials. This doesn't, ha nothing happens spontaneously. Yeah. Right? It very rarely happens spontaneously. So, so nothing happens spontaneously, right? So, um, I can just go that way. So, um, everything is within the context of the environment. So, sure. if you've never, um, We'll break it down really simply. And you've never, as an animal, for say, had a certain type of fruit. Sure. Let's say you're a deer and you've never eaten an apple. Sure. And one hill over, there's an apple grove. Right. You're not going to go cross that hill looking for something you've never known to exist, right? So if you're a kid in an impoverished, I can, if you're a kid in an impoverished environment, and you've never known that like having brightly colored walls and open mm -hmm. light is going to make you feel matter. better right, in the morning. Right. You're not going to like spontaneously erupt that desire. Yeah, exactly. Right? Sure. And, and that goes for any kind of healthy change, doesn't it? Good point. Yeah. You know? So I think what's beautiful about aesthetics mm -hmm. is that, and this is this has been used culturally for as long as humans have Absolutely. had tribes. I know. Right? Yeah. So... With aesthetics, you can create a passive structure mm -hmm. that starts to sort of change what's possible just Absolutely. by walking in and looking at it. Yeah, which is yeah. so cool. And I think that that people maybe don't necessarily realize that until it's then brought to their awareness, which I, I love that we're having this conversation. I mean, it's, it's everywhere you look, right? Yeah. Um, if you want to inspire somebody to be thoughtful and spiritual, look no further than, say, a Catholic church in Italy. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, yeah. you know, so we've known that's a good point that art and appearance matter so much. Oh, absolutely. You know? So I wonder what it is in this modern industrial world that took us away from that. That's a really, really good point. And I think that, you know, over time, as we have gotten access to technology, um, I think technology in some ways is, is obviously a great thing and it's, a, it's given us access to, to a lot in a way. It's one of those double-edged swords. But I also see it as having kind of consumed our brains and brought us to a different 
direction sure. and taken us away from that innate ability we have to be able to create or to be able to um, connect to aesthetics, you know, because it's like a, it seems to be something for me that I've seen. And I, I obviously I, I, I'm just scratching the surface here, but technology comes to mind for me. Sure, like, you know, the, sort, the appearance of your screen matter. You see your screen more than the world around you if you're a teenager, yes. for example. Right? Yes, so. yeah. It, the, mo the amount of time we as humans are, are spending looking at our phones or looking on a computer screen, it, it, it's, in, it's insane. Sure. <laughs> um, actually, there's a, a Nature Valley commercial that came out not that long ago that they interviewed three generations of people and asked the same question, what's your definition of fun? What do you do for fun? And each generation, the, the generation now, it was I spend eight hours a day on a computer, I play video games, mm -hmm. etc. Whereas the first generation, they were out picking blueberries or chasing a dog or running from an animal in the forest. You know, doing all these fun, yeah. exciting things where they're exposed to aesthetics. I mean, environment and different things. And it was very interesting to see and hear just the difference of, in how things have evolved over time for us. And um, I think that that plays a role. Sure. You know, and it's, um, there's an element too where one of the core doctrines behind evolutionary psychology, mm -hmm. biopsychology, if you will, is the idea of using an understanding of how the human body works and the chemistry involved mm -hmm. to make people happier. Sure. Right? And you think about what humans as a machine were mm -hmm. designed to do. Yeah. And everything from our eyes in the front of our head sure. to our large brain for, shrinking, for for thinking and social and strategic capacities mm -hmm. to the fact that we actually have the best endurance in the animal kingdom. Yeah. Not, you know, all this stuff is geared for us to work together, use tools, yeah. and hunt. Right? Mm -hmm. And these are very challenging things. So because they put pain in the body, you get these chemical rewards that say, Good job, Katie. You just um, made a basket, even though it blistered your hands to do that. Now you can carry food and water. You get some chemicals to make you feel good, mm -hmm. right? So we're programmed to love challenges. Mm -hmm. And then when technology comes along, we're deprived of our challenges. Excellent point. And then we've got this genius idea of like, well, maybe you don't really need to overcome challenges. What if you just pretend to, say with a video game or say with a television show? Right. And you don't have to have, you don't have to pursue that romantic partner. You just have to watch the love story on the screen. Yeah. And then what does that do? It gives you like the Superficial, weakest, yeah. the weakest dosage. Of Absolutely. Yeah. Know? It's such an excellent point because it, and it's the biggest double-edged sword because there's so many things that technology has done for mm -hmm. us and for humanity. But at the same time, I think it's, it's something that really blocks and inhibits us and disconnects us in a, like a lot of ways sure. of what you're talking about from being able to um, create or um, find our own ways of, of healing sometimes as well because we've become so reliant on sure. technology. So. And don't be wrong, I love the idea that um, you know we have antibiotics, we have oh, absolutely. Uh, you know yeah. hot water. Yeah, well, I'm all for this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying go you know give up the past ten thousand years of technological development, but we, and we also have this blessing of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like, we have the capacity, if we just learn what we're doing, mm -hmm. to responsibly enjoy all of this decadence that we have, and yet still trigger all those wonderful rewards we need. Right. And there's a million ways we cover that, but I'm thinking back to your topic and mm -hmm. focus on aesthetics. Sure. 
And I look at, in the walls we have now, I see yellow, mm -hmm. I see pictures of butterflies, <laughs> I see wood, I see cloth, I see light, um, I see color oh. strands that almost make it look like it's a beach. And it's interesting to me how, and I even see an animal hide here, you know, in wood, right? And instruments and things, and it almost like resets that part of mm -hmm. you that would expect to be in a camp, in the field, yeah. in nature. Which is really cool. Yeah. I'm glad, I, I love to hear you say that too because I, I think that in ways it also it shows that an object, something that um, may not have little purpose to some people or may have no purpose at all to some, can actually be made into something that's purposeful. Sure. You gave a basket for an example. Um, there's something such a things in this office too, for example, like if this piano was once used as a piano, right? But then it's broken, now turned upside down. It creates this visual chemistry for you, you know? Sure, yeah. and, and ignites something. So I think there's things in our lives, and so much like therapy, there's things in our lives that we, and we may get to a place where we no longer feel functional. And therapy is a thing, like especially with what you're, the, the kind of therapy that you're doing, it's a vessel to be able to help people find and connect to that purpose. Sure. Um, very cool. And so we're talking about, you know, I guess getting more, even more specific. And yeah. we had these awesome, like, philosophical discussion of, about how it gets here and how it affects. But when you look at what you're actually doing when it comes to what does the place look like. And it, mm -hmm. we can't get so specific as to kill everyone's ideas. Mm -hmm. so, but it's like there's some, there's some definite trends at work. Sure. And there's some trends that don't, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had to sort of give people guidelines on, like, how do you connect to that inner primal mm -hmm. person and feel good when you walk in mm -hmm. and how do you really really make sure you don't you know so like what works what doesn't work you know i'm going to say that completely is going to be dependent on the person maybe um we could say that about every topic we talk about true right? you know? true um but specifically though the reason i say it with this is because i think that we all have different passions and desires and likings for things for some for some we they may not be inclined to um enjoy music or they may just not be something that's a, a factor for them and so they may not want that theme and so I, I think of it like this your your space can start off as a canvas and so i like to think of it as a blank canvas in space that you can then intentionally create yourself to be able to make inviting for you and the people that are going to occupy it and so it got, in a way, there is some dependence on the creator and the person that's going in and, be, and the one that's actually creating that space. But to give some, some specifics, it, there's a lot that goes into positioning of furniture, um, so feng shui, mm -hmm. and then also lighting, um, where windows are. Um, all of those things are kind of the first initial step when actually you're going in and looking at a space. And creating a space. And if you look in it and think of it as a canvas, it's kind of your art piece that you can then create. Um, I do know that there's some that may not even want to start there, wouldn't even know how. Sure. And connecting with someone that does is a great way to be able to kind of build ideas. And that's exactly what we did with our offices is we... Had, we knew that we wanted to create a, a place that was comforting and inviting. That was the place that was started. And then we also knew that, especially Mary Catherine, when she first initially started this office, knew that we wanted to, in some ways, 
make it to where mental health was an inviting space as opposed to something that's intimidating. Mm -hmm. And what did we do? We partnered with artists and interior designers, some people that know this stuff. And it's interesting too, right? Because there's this sort of dissonance in modern society Mm -hmm. where you've got like the, we, our entertainment is passive. Our, Mm -hmm. our education is passive. Our employment is passive. Sure. Our social life is passive. You get the idea. And yet, we're so opposed to being humble enough mm-hmm. to seek help and engagement. Such a good point. Yeah, I, I could, we could, I mean, I'm thinking about this, just this topic. I don't think anything that we have made in our offices or created in our office could have been done without help. And yeah. I'm no art, art expert. I'm no, you know what I mean? I didn't go, I don't have a degree in interior design. So why would I then go and just try to take a stab at it by myself when I know that there's someone out there that actually has the not even just talent and natural ability, but also has gone to school and had formal education in it. And I think the partnership and being able to bounce ideas off of what I, so depending on the person and their, what they're trying to, the the canvas that they're using and the actual masterpiece they're trying to create and then partnering with that person that knows how to do it and working together is a great place to be able to kind of start. Especially if it's like, you know, you humble yourself enough to seek that help, but we talk about how you never really grow mm-hmm. until you see something you haven't seen before. Sure. Or see a possibility you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in someone who's really good at something you may not be, yeah. you become better at Excellent that Excellent point. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. That's a really, really, really good point as well. Um, because I don't think for, you know, again, I'm speaking from personal and professional experience, but I don't think where I was before I got here... I mean, looking at it where I was then, creatively speaking, and then where I am now, was truly because of, of Ryan. And he is an artist, interior designer. Um, he also is a, a fashion designer, and he is the one that kind of was a vessel for, I think, me and Dr. Roderick to kind of bring that out in us. And if I would, didn't humbly rely on him to begin with, I don't know where I would be. Awesome. We're going to have to like uh, link a way to get in contact with him professionally in the notes of the Absolutely. episode. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely would love to just the opportunity to speak on him more because he, um, just mentioning our, our, our offices, I mean, he is the one that, that actually came in and when we told him, so our ideas were, we want psychology to be the meaning behind everything. We want it to speak to people in certain ways. We want there to be meaning behind um you know, whether there's a clock on a wall or not, or, you know, sure. all of those things. And, and yet, then he took yeah, it. Because there's so much art in this passive modern society yeah. that they'll intellectualize it, but it'll look awful. Good right? point. Mm-hmm. So we're not advocating, like, as long as you could, as long as you could make a story behind it, it's okay, and everything's okay. It's just, if your goal is to <laughs> inspire and warm and encourage and inspire, you know, and have right. people grow. and It takes a different, a you different ha- approach. Yeah, you have to have that message. But it also has to be digestible by looking. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And intentionally done with people that know what they're doing or are good at what they're doing. And that doesn't mean that you can't become that or, or grow in that way. But like you said, I like how you mentioned it's like a humble reliance at first sure. before you can get to that place. Not a passive one. No, yeah. no, not at all. Yeah. Um, taking active steps to be able to start creating it. For example, the books on the wall 
sure. was the merge of psychology. What's your chapter? You know, what chapter are you on in your life? Is it time to turn the page? And we're not talking about <laughs> books on a shelf like stale lawyer style. For those of you, you know, just listening, they actually nailed in so many words books open to a wall. Like it's a wall quilt of open books. So it's not like your old exactly the old English classics that lawyers never read. Yes, <laughs> okay. and that was all Ryan's idea. Yeah. I mean, we knew that we wanted there to be psychology infused in the theme so when i said earlier it kind of depends on the person and what they want on their canvas sure. if they have a theme and then whether they want it to be music um but he he's the one that kind of originated and came up with that thought like well i'm just going to nail books on the wall sure. um and it does create a very very cool visual aesthetic um and there's pictures on our website and i think yours as well maybe um but people can kind of connect to it in that way and see actual pictures if they want to as sure well. and if you follow us on social media there's um, Facebook.com slash Paragon Wellness for us. and um, For us, it's www.surprisinglywell.com. It's surprisinglywell.com, and it's the name of our practice is The Wellness Studio. Great. You know, it's such an awesome range of topics and mm -hmm. conversations we've covered so far. And the theme I get out of all of it is it's sort of like um, the beauty of being a human in some way is being mm -hmm. the animal that determines the ecosystem as opposed to just having to live in wherever you are. I love that, yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Taking an active, and having an active place in it, yeah. Sure. So, well, Katie, this is a one, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Where can people connect with you? Um, they can go to our website that I named earlier, but I'm definitely going to name it again. Um, it's www.surprisinglywell.com. We also have a Facebook page and also a Twitter and Instagram account, and it's The Wellness Studio. And then also uh, a telephone, the okay. 225 area code, 448-3359. Whoever uses that. There you go. I know, right? 225-448-3359 <laughs> okay. um, 2 is our main office number. Sure. And you know, for any of our guests, this isn't um, sort of like lip service. These people would actually love to connect with you, hear, hear your thoughts, Katie especially. Absolutely. Yes, you know. we'd love to. Um, and to close this out, what's like a takeaway? What would you want people that are listening to sort of take away from this whole interview and experience and discussion? Hmm. I think the takeaway for me is, especially that merges what your experience offers and what you're doing with your practice and then also with ours, is your own mindset, your own psychological mindset is what is going to be the start of your own destiny and allow you to be able to get to a place where you can create and the evolution of that process, and then also married with, you know, just counseling in general and the art and science that counseling is, is I want people to be able to know that counseling is something that is for anybody sure. um, and is something that is incredibly helpful and empowering. And even if you're not at a place where you are dealing with an extreme adversity, you could just want to be able to better yourself. Absolutely. Counseling is yeah. not, I have a psychological diagnosis and I, exactly. need to, and I need to sort of minimize the damage. Yes. May, in some cases, that's that's a start. Absolutely. Right. But really the thing that sets our profession apart as opposed to other like psychology related fields, mm -hmm. is we don't take you from bad to kind of okay. Yeah. We try to help you take yourself from either bad or kind of okay or good or whatever mm -hmm. to excellence. Excellent. Yeah. And self-actualization and to be able yeah. to get, it's a, something that is not just a clinical thing. It's human. And I want people to be able to take that away just from listening to our conversation and how much psychology permeates through everything. For sure. Um, that too. So, yeah. so 
That was amazing. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for joining us today on the Therapy Evolve podcast. We at Paragon Wellness welcome your comments, questions, concerns, and suggestions for improvement. Feel free to contact us at paragoncounselor at gmail.com or drop us a comment at facebook.com slash paragonwellness. And always, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us become noticed for better or for worse. While I am a licensed professional counselor, these podcasts are not meant to be taken as clinical intervention. If you are experiencing considerable emotional or lifestyle difficulty, it is highly encouraged that you contact a local wellness professional. Thanks again, guys. See you next week.